man wrote a story one day while working in the oil field. We were breaking out and removing old abandoned pipelines. These were old flow lines and gas lines. Natural gas has a tendency to dry out the threads of the pipe. This uh, coupled with their age, it makes taking apart the pipes apart very difficult. It was necessary to break the threads loose before getting them to screw apart. This is done by striking the coupling a number of times with a three-pound hammer. The process of striking the coupling we called warming it up. Well, while beating on the coupling of one connection, I heard a hissing sound. I assumed that I had broken another pipe lying directly beneath the one I was working on, and there was a gas leak, so it was making the hissing sound. So in order to locate the problem, I began to dig and poke and beat around the ground to the vicinity of the noise. Much to my surprise, my assumptions were completely wrong. The hissing sound turned out to be the noise emanating from a bumblebee nest. As you know, bumblebees, they nest in the ground. Well, this, this nest of bees poured out of that small hole in the ground like a whirlwind and came after me with a vengeance. At the time, I had a large, uh, scaggly, awful-looking afro, which those bees tried to light into. They chased me across the field and over the hill, when after a few minutes I returned, I tried to return, they pulled me over the hill again. This happened not once, but twice, but about three or four times. And all the while, my co-workers were standing by laughing until the tears rolled down their cheeks. Always nice to have sympathy from people. Sometimes we hear things and make wrong assumptions. Sometimes we think... One, uh, we hear something and we think it's a warning about one thing and it turns out to be a warning about something completely different. We're going to take a look at a character here today that you, some of you may know about. Some of you may not know about him, but I'm sure at least uh, one or two of these guys in here are going to be new to you. Unless you have read Jeremiah a few times before. In Jeremiah chapter 28, and it happened in the same year at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year, in the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet, who was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priest, and of all the people, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Now, the last couple of weeks, as we've been looking at this series on getting our heart right, having a heart condition, sometimes we have a heart condition we're not necessarily aware of, and it may be not a good one. We saw that when pride comes in and messes up with our heart, that it gets us to thinking a couple of things. One is that my way is right, and we saw that with Hophni and Phineas. We think that our way is right, even though the Word of God would tell us it's wrong. And they began to do things in the temple. They began to do things with the sacrifice that they were not supposed to do. We also saw this with Samson. Samson would do things in his life that he knew were wrong, but sometimes we get so filled with pride about who we are that we do things our own way. And it challenges the notion of who is my guide. We then went on and looked at my needs take precedent. We saw Ahab wanting a vegetable garden. Of all the things that he had, he wanted a vegetable garden near the castle. And the things that went on for him to acquire that vegetable garden, his wife ended up setting up a man to be murdered and then the rest of his family so that he could go and take it. And Ahab's needs took precedent over other people's, and in this case, even other people's lives. Judas did the same thing. This particular notion, when pride gets a hold of us, it challenges, who is my supply? We then looked last week at Jehanan and Azariah. The Jeremiah had given a word, do not go to Egypt. They came to him and said, what should we do? We feel like we should go to Egypt, but we're going to wait and listen to what the word of the Lord says through you. And they waited for 10 days, and he came to them with the word of the Lord. But the Lord revealed the hypocrisy of their heart, and he put that right into the prophecy. And they said, False. As soon as they heard the word, they didn't check it out. They said false. That's what most people will do who are not hungry for the truth, who are not motivated by the spirit, who are not in a place of humility, 
People in pride, as soon as they hear something that disagrees with them, they will call it false without ever checking a thing out. We said, watch the signs. That's one of the signs. This challenge is who I see as Lord and Master. Well, here in this particular situation, we have a person, Hananiah, who was the son of a prophet. And perhaps he thought his ministry was to be a prophet. Perhaps he started out as a prophet in the right. But we know from this prophecy that this is a wrong prophecy that he gives. Let me read over the prophecy again. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts. Just beware. Just because people say, thus says the Lord, does not mean the Lord said it. Always check things out. You should do this no matter what. How many times have you heard things over at work and someone comes to you and says, so-and-so said this? Before you believe it, go check it out. In your family, somebody may come and say, relative so-and-so said this. Well, before you believe it, go check it out. Just because somebody says a thing is so doesn't make it so. The Word of God says on the basis of how many witnesses? Two to three. How many times are we making decisions or do we know people who are making decisions based on the witness of one? And, of course, if you were at all in touch with the news in the last couple of weeks... I heard uh, CNN became the uh, 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 network of Malaysia Air Flight 370 or whatever one. That, I don't even know what the number of the, the thing was. All they did was 24 hours. What happened to the plane? And I heard one person summarize it pretty good. Uh, used to be on CNN. He's not anymore. He summarized it pretty good. He says, breaking news became breaking supposition. <laughs> there was no witnesses. There was no facts. All we had did was somebody thinks this might have happened. And we'd spend hours talking about that. Well, this might have happened. We have no idea that it did happen, but we're going to talk about it like it did. Be careful of that sort of stuff. Just because someone comes from an accredited source, just because someone was born of a prophet, just because someone has the dad who was in ministry or a mom who was in ministry, and because they were sound does not make them sound. Just because they started off sound does not make what they're saying now sound. What makes what they're saying now sound is when it verifies and agrees with the Word of God. Always take things back to the Word. He says, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Now, he gives a couple of things in here, uh, and some of them are a little bit contradictory. The Word of God never contradicts itself. But if you go back and take a look at some of the things that he was... Well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's go back into the history of what, what was happening here, because we are in the fourth year right now of Zedekiah. And if you have not read Jeremiah or have not read it recently or are not real well versed in the Chronicles or Kings, you may not know the history of how all this played out. And so what we have, if we go over to Second Chronicles chapter 36, Second Chronicles chapter 36, if you're turning there, it's the last chapter in Chronicles. If you are not turning there, then um, you can just look there up uh, on the screen. Then the people of the land took Jehoaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in his father's place in Jerusalem. Now, was Josiah a good king or a bad king? He was a good king. He was a good king. He brought revival into the land. If you remember the story of Josiah, they had to basically dust off the house of the Lord because it had been neglected. And they came on in and they cleaned it up and they found some things in there written and they were shocked at these things. And so they, they dusted off the scrolls and they read some of the things that the prophets had written. And they found out we are in serious trouble. And so they spent on a, commanded a nationwide fast and sought the Lord on this, and the Lord sent word through the prophet, and he said, everything you read is going to happen. But because you have repented, I won't do it in your lifetime. And they continued the reforms, and they continued on, and Josiah was a very good king. But, of course, as kings go, they're mortal, they die. So he died, and Jehoaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Now the king of Egypt deposed him at Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Now remember, in the story we were in last week, they were thinking of running to Egypt for protection. And here in this chapter, sometime earlier, we find out that 
Egypt had come and deposed the king that they had before, and they put a new king in place. Uh, it was a descendant of, of his. So the king of Egypt deposed him at Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. And the king of Egypt made Jehoaz, brother Elikim, king over Judah and Jerusalem, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Necho took Jehoaz, his brother, and carried him off to Egypt. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him in bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also carried off some of the articles of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim, the abominations which he did and what was found against him, indeed they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Then Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. Very similar names. It's amazing how you can have such a long name and yet they're still similar. So what happened here was Babylon came down and they conquered the, the place and they took, remember the wording, some of the things from the temple, but they left some of them there and they still continued to let them operate in the temple and to, to do the things, to operate as a nation, to have a king. And they were just going to be uh, subservient to Nebuchadnezzar. And so they did this and they took some of those things, some of those uh, vessels over and used them in Babylon. Do you think they worshiped God with them in Babylon? No, they did not. They worshiped other things. They put them in their temple and they were doing other things with it. What do you think God would view? How do you think God would view them? Does God want them back? No, probably not. We'll make new ones. That would be God's idea. Jehoiachin was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months and ten days. And this is a real interesting statement. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Eight years old, you reign three months and a few days. How bad could it be? I don't know. I didn't really spend a whole lot of time looking up him because he's not the focus of our, of our time here. At the turn of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar summoned him and took him to Babylon with the costly articles from the house of the Lord and made Zedekiah... Jehoiakim's brother, king over Judah and Jerusalem. So Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah, the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear an oath by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord, which he had concentrated, consecrated in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of the fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, till there was no remedy. Therefore he, he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of the sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, on, on the aged or the weak. He gave them all into his hand. And all the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its, its places with fire, destroyed all its precious possessions, and those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the king of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath. As long as she desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years." Jeremiah is the one that prophesied it would be 70 years until that would go on, until the Israel would be fulfilled the, the, the um, time frame they would be in captivity. So this is the setting. This is what happened. And in the Zedekiah, if you go through other parts of the Word of God, it's going to tell you how he met his demise, and it was not pretty. Zedekiah was, uh, was warned, surrender. If you surrender... It'll be okay. He didn't surrender. He decided to hang out until the end. And when he was caught by Nebuchadnezzar, he, um, he was brought before him with all his sons. And he pleaded with Nebuchadnezzar, kill me. 
but kill me first. I don't want to see my sons die. And the son said the same thing. We don't want to see our father die. So what he'd end up doing was Nebuchadnezzar took Zedekiah and he killed, him, killed his sons in front of him and then put out Zedekiah's eyes so that he would see nothing more. So the last thing he saw was the death of his sons. And then he carried him off into captivity into Babylon. And Ezekiel had made a prophecy about Zedekiah. And to Zedekiah, and I don't know if I put it in here, I believe it's Ezekiel chapter 13, 9, or 10, 11, and 11, 12, and 13. 11, 13, or sorry, Ezekiel chapter 12, 11, 12, and 13. Uh, I had the chapter wrong. It's chapter 13, but it's uh, right in there. I believe I have it in here somewhere. I may read it for you. And what he said was that you would be carried to Babylon, and in Babylon you will die, but you will not see it. What a wild prophecy that is. You will be carried to Babylon. You will die in Babylon, but you will not see Babylon. You've got to be thinking, how in the world is that even possible? And there, there's God. He, he, he did it. Now, I don't think Nebuchadnezzar read the Bible and uh, decided to fulfill it. He had no idea. That's just Nebuchadnezzar who he was going to be. Now, the Talmud, if we go back to the Talmud, it describes Zedekiah's main sin. It was not idolatry. It was not murder. It was not adultery. Uh, what it describes his sin that caused all this or brought all this destruction in was that he had the ability to protest evil and did not stand against it. It was more of a sin of omission. We get that from the Talmud, not from the Bible account. The Bible account doesn't give a whole lot of details of what he did. Some kings, it gives details of what they did. Some of them, it just says they did bad, they did good, whatever it might be. On this one, the Talmud tells us that he was guilty of the sin of omission more so than the sin of commission. Things that he failed to have done. Zedekiah was the uncle of the very unrighteous Jehoiachin and the son of King Josiah. So he had a good religious background. He understood Josiah probably taught him well on the things that were going on, but he just uh, he didn't stand up for it. It's not that he didn't believe it. It's just that he didn't stand up for it. You'll see if you go through the book of Jeremiah, you'll see some neat interaction between Jeremiah and the king if you want to go back through and read some more of those. But anyways, uh, Zedekiah, he not only accepted the... He, he was, he, when he was put in place with Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, and he put him in charge as king. He did not put him in as governor. Remember last week we were looking at a governor. Nebuchadnezzar still tried to keep this as a nation running as a nation. He still left them their temple. He still left them their king and a king of Jewish descent. The inhabitants were still Jews. He did not deport them all. He deported some. But he left a lot of the Jews there to continue the place and to keep it going along with a Jewish king, and along with all the things that made them followers of Jehovah. The temple was still there. They could still do all those uh, things there, but they rebelled. Now, Zedekiah is the guy who led them in this rebellion. He was, when he was brought before Nebuchadnezzar and put in place, he was made, the Talmud tells us, as he was made to um, swear an oath, and they did it in the temple. One place tells us that he put his hand on the altar, one hand on the altar when he made the oath. Another place tells us that he held a scroll. Whichever one it was, he did something. Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do something based on their God, based on the, so that they would be held accountable by their God. And he said, you will swear an oath that you will not rebel, that you will pay the tribute, and that you will keep things in order, things along those lines, but that he would not rebel. And Zedekiah made this promise. But then what happened in the land of Israel, and we have one such prophet here, prophets began to rise up who prophesied things along the same line as what we hear in chapter 28. That I have broken the yoke of Babylon. I am bringing the people back. I have relented of the destruction I have brought on Jerusalem. And I am bringing you back. And so these prophecies came out. So these prophecies were coming to Israel. These were being proclaimed in Israel. And Jeremiah is one of the few who is saying, nope, nope, that's not it. Now, remember, if, if, you, if you know the book of Jeremiah at all, you know that Jeremiah prophesied many things 
about destruction. In fact, he really didn't have many good things to say. Pretty much any time he opened his mouth, it was doom, gloom, destruction is coming. Because Israel was in sin, idolatry, and all this sort of thing. Well, the king got tired of it, and they put Jeremiah in prison. In fact, it was a horrible prison. Horrible existence of a prison. When Zedekiah comes to the throne, he takes a very risky move, and he releases Jeremiah from prison. What do you think Jeremiah is going to do when he gets out of prison? He's going to declare the word of the Lord. We have Jeremiah who one time wrote, he says, I tried to, I, I would tell them what the word of God was saying, and they beat me for it. And they beat me for it. So I, I shut up my mouth, and I didn't proclaim the word that God gave me. But he said, the pain of keeping it in was greater than the pain of speaking it out. So he went back to preaching what the Word of God says, and he was beaten, he was abused, he was ridiculed, because he was one of a few voices, most of the voices that were there were said to be prophets of God, like this guy, but they were prophesying things contrary, and things that were different. So the words are coming from this, and, and so Zedekiah is getting inspired to rebel. He's got the words of Jeremiah, which are saying... Don't rebel. Don't rebel. This is going to go on. This is what God has sent. This is what God wants for the land. It's not what he intended, but because of sin, this is where it's going. Don't rebel. Boy, the other prophets came up and they said, no, rebel. God is going to deliver you. God has, has broken the yoke, all these different things that they would say. And so they would do this. And so what happened was he was under oath. And so he called the Sanhedrin into a meeting. Zedekiah calls the Sanhedrin into a meeting and says, I have made this oath to the king. How can I break it? And the Sanhedrin came up with a way. They found a loophole for him to break it. And so that they didn't feel like they did anything wrong. And so he broke the oath. And because of this, Nebuchadnezzar gets wind of this. And when he comes in here, he deals with the Sanhedrin and it's not good for them. He... Um, he, he really lowers the hammer on them, kills a lot of them. So he has Jeremiah's word, and he has all these other folks and the things that they say. Now, Zedekiah was kind of covering his basis on, on, on a couple of areas. He was listening to the people who said, I have delivered you from Babylon. But he also made preparations for just in case they were wrong. And so what he did was, while they were rebelling against the king, he made an escape tunnel under Jerusalem that led out somewhere near the area of Jericho. It was about 18 miles away. Now, as the story comes to us, it's not in the Bible. It just comes to us, you know, through the Jewish traditions and the Talmud and things like that. As the story comes to us, as the Babylonians were coming into the land and coming to circle around Jerusalem, they came up, they saw a deer run into a thicket. And they went after it to, uh, I, I think, to, to kill it, to have some, some food. And so as they went after it, they found, by chance, the exit of the tunnel. And so just in case this amounted to anything, they posted a guard, a group of, of people, at the exit of the tunnel. And so when Zedekiah got into the tunnel, traveled the 18 miles, and popped out, he was greeted by a group of people who were ready for him. And they took him and his sons all captive. So even his plans there were not, uh, were not made out. The scripture I was giving you is Ezekiel 12, 11 through 13. Here's a, I'm going to read it for you. Say, say, I am assigned to you as I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall be carried away into captivity, and the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. And the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. They shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so he cannot see the ground with his eyes. I will spread my net over him, and he shall be caught in my snare, and I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. So it sounds like if he would have read this, he wouldn't have made the tunnel to begin with. But, uh, of course, he would have had to have believed it. So these are the things that the false prophet spoke. First off, I have broken the yoke of Babylon. The captives will return within two full years. All the vessels of the house of the Lord will return. 
along with the former king, and I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Now, this jumped out as me as, as odd. He starts off saying, I have broken the yoke of Babylon and ends it with, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Does that sound like God? There are very often that God has spoken of something he will do in the past tense. But once he speaks of it as having been done, he never speaks of it as future. That right there should, could, should have uh, keyed the people in what was going on. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priest and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. So he does this in front of the, the, the temple. He's in the, the house of the Lord. He's... Um, doing this in front of the priest. He's doing it in front of the the people because this false prophet spoke this in front of these people, so he is going to speak this in front of them. And here's what he says. Verse 6, Amen. The Lord do so. The Lord perform your words, which you have prophesied, to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. That's not really what you expect out of Jeremiah, is it? What he's trying to convey to them is this. That is a great thing. You know what? I want to let you know. I want that to happen. I want that to happen. I want the things from God's house to come back. I want the people who were taken away to come back. I want our country to be free again. I want to be rid of any shackles. That's what he he desires that. Because sometimes when people bring a message of destruction like he did they think you don't you don't care you don't want us free and that's not the case so he's letting them know you know what amen boy i tell you what i wish that was so i i would i would so much like to see that happen verse 7 nevertheless hear now this word that i speak in your hearing and the hearing of all the people now he's speaking the word he spoke his desire before now he is speaking the word that the lord gave him the prophets who have been before me And before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. What he does here is he goes back in history. He says, folks, go back into history. Look at what people have written about this country, about our idolatry about the things that we had fallen into, about the things we had done. Prophet after prophet after prophet has said destruction is coming and destruction came. Now, there were people back then who prophesied good things and they didn't come about. So let me tell you this. Go back in your history. Remember the word that was spoken. What sounds true to you. That's what he's basically saying to him. Do you believe this word that contradicts all the things that had gone on in the past that came true? That came true. You know, it's, it's one thing. People all the time are, are making predictions about the future. We are very, all my entire life since I was born, predictions have been made. It probably went on before that. I can only speak to the ones that happened when I was born. In the 60s, I believe that was the year they promised the the next ice age. We then went back and Ted Danza, he was prophesying the end of the oceans in 20 years. I'm not sure if he was late 60s, 70s or whatever it was he came through. He prophesied that in 20 years, the oceans will be dead. Have the oceans ever shown any sign of being dead? Are we beyond the 20 years? We then switched over to global warming. We then switched back to global cooling. We've now switched back over to global warming. And constantly people are making predictions that in 10 years, in 20 years, in whatever it's going to be, sometime out in the future, but far enough out that it seems like we could do some things to change it. Al Gore was one of the last ones, and one of the guys I like, he is holding him to the fire on this one. Because Al Gore said in 20 years, and he listed all the things, we're going, the Armageddon. The world's going to fall apart. You know, the the floods are going to come about. about. New York City is going to be underwater. The ice caps are going to be melted. The polar bears are going to die. Uh, You name it. uh, All these different things are going to go on. He said in 20 years, this is going to happen. So this person put on a website a clock ticking down for 20 years. 
20 years or 10 years, whatever time he would put on there, it was going to be. That clock is now at one year and 302 days, 302 or 306 days. Uh, have you seen any sign? In fact, the, word, the uh, experts tell us that over the last 17 years, there has been no change in the global temperature. None. But, you know, don't confuse me with the facts. But constantly, people will make these prophecies in 10 years and 20 years. And in order for us to stop that, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this, you have to do all these different things. And if you come against them, they come out and they say the same thing we saw last week, which is, that's false. They don't have to check it out. No, that's false. That's false. We don't have to check it out. We know that's false. How do you know that's false? So they do that. They did it here. But this time, I think they've learned over the years, two years is a little short. You know, you want, you want to have a little bit more time, a little bit more credibility in there. So they've, they've learned over the years not to do things in two years. But this guy did it in two years. He said in two years, all the people are going to be brought back. By two years, by the time two years is fulfilled, all the people will be brought back. Now, Jeremiah does not come back there and say, false, false word. He doesn't come back there and say that. He goes back and he takes what he says and he compares it to history. He compares it to what has been said before. He compares it to what has happened before. And he says, here are the facts. Here are the things. He doesn't just come out and say, false. He believes it to be false, but he doesn't just come out and say false. He comes out with the people and says, look, here's what's been prophesied. There were other people who prophesied good things. People prophesied bad things. What happened? The bad things. Once the bad things happened, we saw that those prophecies were right. Those prophecies said it's not going to be over in two years. Those prophecies, according to, to, um, uh, to, to the, the uh, Chronicles tells us that Jeremiah is going to, in one of his prophecies, we're going to see this here, he's going to say it is going to be 70 years. Do you remember a person in the Old Testament who was studying the Word of God and found out that suddenly came a revelation. We're here in captivity for 70 years. And that 70 years is about over. So what happens now? His name was Daniel. Daniel was reading. And all of a sudden, I mean, it wasn't like it was hidden. You can read it. It says 70 years. He wasn't doing any math. He just all of a sudden his eyes were open to see it. <gasps> 70 years. And then he asked God, God, what about this? And God sent him a revelation based on that question. And what a revelation it was. So he reminds them of the past. Let me go into uh, verse 10. Because uh, we're going to see uh, all kinds of fun stuff going on here. Well, I, 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 verse, go to verse uh, 7. I'm sorry, we missed some of this. Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, and the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Verse 10. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke of the prophets off the prophet's Jeremiah's neck and broke it. At least he took it off his neck. I don't know how you break that with it on him. But apparently Jeremiah was wearing this, he's wearing this, this yoke to demonstrate the yoke that Israel was going to be under. And so Hananiah removes it from Jeremiah. So we have a clash of two prophets who have completely different messages. And both of them are using props. Right? I mean, if, if you're using props, I mean, that's, just the, that's all there is to it. How many times we see that in the, in the Bible, they use props. So he took the yoke off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. His breaking the yoke was his prop. Jeremiah had the prop of the yoke. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations, of all nations, not just Israel, of all nations, within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. He's not going to sit there and argue. He made a declaration. He said what was going on. And... You people, you can believe what you want. I gave you the facts, whichever one you're going to believe. So this is what Zedekiah is under. He's getting one group that tells him rebel in two years. Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon's going to be gone. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah 
After Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron. He says, You think you were under a yoke before? That yoke is going to be even stronger now. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. And I have given him the beast of the field also. But the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. So what happened was he broke the yoke of wood. But what God is saying is, we're going to replace that yoke of wood with a yoke of iron. And see, before they had the freedom to live in their land, they had the freedom to be in their homes, they had the freedom to be in, in the temple and make sacrifice. Now their temple is going to be burned. They're going to be pulled out of their home. Every single one of them is going to be carried off into captivity. And many of them are going to die. It didn't have to be that way. They decided to break the yoke of wood. And what came in its place is yoke of iron is what God is saying. So prophet, the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. But you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah, the prophet, died the same year in the seventh month. That is two months later. This all occurred in the fifth month. He died in the seventh month. So two, two and a half, two and three quarter, whatever it is, months later, he died. That's less than a year. I guess he didn't repent at all. Sometimes we see God that when people repent and say, you know what, I've been on the wrong side. He might uh, relent a little bit. He didn't apparently do it at all. He just uh, kept that up. Now, we've got to ask this question. How does one like Hananiah stand so strong for what is false? It does not matter how strongly one stands for the truth they believe in. What matters is what stands behind them. What are the facts? What is the evidence? What do you have that stands behind you? When you have the word of God standing behind you, you've got all that you need. And you can be like Jeremiah who walks away from an argument because I don't have to win with you. I need to declare what the word of God says. I just declare what the word of God says. And then you all need to listen. If you don't listen, that's on you. How does one like Hananiah stand so strongly for what is false? Well, he obviously must believe that it's true. He put time frames on it. There are a lot of people who say false things, but they believe that they are true. It's just that their belief is in something false. Their belief is not in anything strong. No matter what it is that you are going to believe in this world, you're going to have to have faith with it. No matter what it is. If you're going to have faith that God created the heavens and the earth, you've got to have faith in that because you were not there. You don't have pictures of it being done. We can't even say how God did it. But we believe by faith that God did it. The people who believe that God did not create the earth still have to have faith because they were not here whenever whatever Big Bang or, or evolution or whatever thing happened. They were not here for it. They still have to have faith in that what they believe is true. So no matter what you believe, just in this matter of the creation of the world, you have to be a person of faith. That's all there is to it. If you believe it happened by accident, you still have to be a person of faith because you weren't here. You've never seen an accident like that happen before. There has been no accident during your lifetime or anyone else's lifetime in which a universe was created. A sun, an earth, life forms, trees, plants, water, land, hasn't happened. So you still have to take it by, no matter which way you go, we are people of faith. We will have faith. You have faith when you got up this morning that your car was going to start. You had faith that your car was going to get you here. If you didn't have faith that your car was going to get you here on a rainy day, you wouldn't leave home. We have faith in just about everything that we do. 
But that faith is based on something. When we have faith in God, we base it on his word. That's what we need to do. Here, Hananiah stands strongly. He has faith that the word that came to him is true. Now, it's a false word. It could have been exposed very easily. Jeremiah told him how to expose it. Go back and look at the words of before. Does that sound anything like what God said before? And those things came true. This is the effect that pride has. This is pride's effect. Even though we feel we are serving God. We call this whole thing the cloak of serving. Because very often people who are caught up in pride are covered over by a cloak of service to God. And Hananiah is this type. He has the name of a prophet. He has the name of one who is serving God. There were false teachers that rose up in Paul's day. There were false teachers that rose up in Jeremiah's day. There are false teachers that rose up in just about every day. And they had the air of serving God. There were false priests. There were false prophets. There were false people who brought false words and brought false assurance. These things continue to go on. But they are covered over because, by the fact that they are serving. We do that even with our government officials today. We look at our government officials. They are serving the public. And because of that cloak, they do a lot of things that make themselves rich and other people poor. But they have that cloak of service that's there. It's not just restricted to, to God and religious things. It's all over. There's a cloak of that. In more of a humorous way, have you ever had your, your little ones who after they have been guilty of some infraction and they know that somewhere down the road they're going to get caught? They come in and they make you breakfast. They take out the trash without being asked. They wash the dishes that are in the sink. They vacuum. They do things that is out of the ordinary. And as soon as you see that as a parent, you see that they did something out of the ordinary, something that you have to either ask them repeatedly to do, or it's not even on their list. As soon as they do that, what do you think? Dear Lord, what is broken? Who is going to call me? These things begin to go through your mind, right? Because of the things that are... Well, there's the cloak of service. As soon as they begin to serve in a capacity that they don't normally serve in, we wonder, what's going on here? Just because people serve in a capacity for God does not mean they are not in pride. And we've already given you quite a few examples of people who were so... Hophni and Phineas, Samson... Judas, the list goes on. The other ones we, we covered and we looked at, these are people that are caught up in pride. But they have the service record serving the Lord. Well, pride's effects, even though we feel we are serving God, pride will harden our hearts. We've already looked at that. It makes us resistant to correction. We've already looked at that. Pride, when it comes in, it hardens our heart. Humility softens your heart. Pride hardens it. It makes us resistant to correction. If you have noticed that there is a resistance in you to being corrected, probably that's a sign that there is pride in your life. And here's this one. We become, pride's effects, we become unteachable, unthankful, and unaccountable. When we have fallen into pride, we become unteachable, unthankful, and unaccountable. This will follow anyone who gets in pride. They are not thankful for the things they have, but they begin to demand things that they do not. Always, always, always remain thankful. Always remain thankful. The Word of God exhorts us to do this over and over again, to be thankful, to, be, to be, have gratitude about you. Constantly be that way. Be teachable. Strive to be teachable. If we stop being teachable, we cannot grow. And be accountable. When we become unaccountable, we answer to no one but ourselves. And therefore, there is no authority in our life but ours. That's what pride will do. If you become unteachable, unthankful, unaccountable, <laughs> write this one down somewhere in there. You become unpromotable. God cannot promote you. He cannot move you on from where you are. 
In fact, if you keep on that way, he will not only not move you on, he will move you out. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago? A believer should never see anything as impossible. Because the Word of God says very clearly, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. So if we ever declare something to be impossible, we are declaring that first off, the Bible is wrong. Or secondly, I won't hear what God says. We're actually making a declaration that way. And I shut myself down from receiving revelation on how to do the impossible. Don't shut yourself down from receiving revelation. God wants to speak to you about how to do the impossible. Go through some places in the Word of God. Is it impossible to give two to four million people water in a desert? By all accounts, yes. It's impossible. And yet God gave wisdom to someone and said, this is how you do it. Is it possible to feed two to four million people in a desert? God gave them wisdom on how to do it. I heard we were listening to one person this week. I just love the way they said it. Said God, God even flew in meat for them. <laughs> I thought that was cute. Flew in meat. Had it flown in. <laughs> even before the days of FedEx, he had it flown in for them. And the quail just came flying on in and, and they had meat. That's our God. When a huge army comes against you and it seems impossible, God, how many different ways delivered Israel? When an army is coming up behind you and you have no weapons, what did God say to do? Man, I am lost on this one. You guys are on your own. No, he told them how to overcome. And every situation that was deemed impossible, he had a way out. In order to hear it, you can't be in pride. You've got to listen to what God says. Just wanted to review those, those things for you. I put this in your outline. Pride destroys ministries, ministers, and renders them ineffective until destruction comes. Pride destroys ministries, ministers, and renders them ineffective until destruction comes. Why are they ineffective? Because they can't receive revelation from God to overcome or to foresee what is coming. Put this in your outline too. Revelation will not come or will not be received to overcome what is difficult or impossible. Revelation will not come or will not be received to overcome what is difficult or impossible. Revelation, that's why we spend so much time on that area of revelation in the last series on wisdom. God wants to speak revelation to you. In an instant, God can speak things to you in revelation that would take you years, months, decades to figure out. And you can know about it instantly. You need, above all things, you need revelation. The Word of God says, above all things, seek after wisdom, understanding. These are the things we need to get after. When pride has a hold of me, I get frustrated. How many of y'all know that? You get frustrated? The reason we get frustrated is because of pride. Because someone or something is keeping me from what I think I should have or I should get to. Why do you get frustrated in traffic? Because I feel like I should be here and you are keeping me from it. <laughs> right? Why do we get frustrated when the guy in front of us in the supermarket line is having a hard time paying? Get frustrated. Because I think I should be able to get through this. It's pride. See, the humble person says, oh, man, can I get in there and help that person out? But a prideful person says, I'm more important than you are. Get out of my way. And we get frustrated. Just keep this in mind. If frustration is showing up in your life. It's a, it's, it's a sign. Remember, read the signs. It's a sign somewhere there's some pride. And fix it. Fix it. Get it out of there. When pride has hold of me, I get frustrated, angry, even put off when people ask me to improve what I do, produce what is lacking, or overcome a difficulty. When two to four million people came up to Moses and said, we need water. And you see what Moses does. Do you get the idea that Moses 
is frustrated. He just goes to the guy and says, God, we need some water. What should we do? He gets mad at their rebellion. He never gets mad at their request. He gets mad at their rebellion. It's real important to see the difference in that. Don't get frustrated, angry, even put off when people ask you to improve. Has people ever put on you over at the work, over at your job? And people put a demand on you to improve. You get frustrated. Why? Who are they to ask me to do something better? Be careful. It's a sign. It's a warning sign. Get it, get it fixed up. You get angry. Even put off when people ask me to improve what I do, produce what is lacking, or overcome a difficulty. And pride will be a roadblock to you doing those things. If you at your work can improve what you do, produce what is lacking, or overcome a difficulty, what will happen to you on the job? Promotion? Yeah. Raise? (laughs) Bonus? Good things will come to you if on the workplace you are able to improve what you do, produce what is lacking, or overcome an obstacle. Right? Employers like folks to do this. But if pride gets in the way, instead of finding the solution in those matters, instead of that, you get frustrated, you get angry, you get put off. And you become less valuable to your employer. Because I don't want to work with this guy. He's always angry. He's always frustrated. No, don't do that. What happened to Hananiah when he was confronted with the true word. He got angry. He got put off. His pride should have been assigned to him. What happened when, with Jeremiah when Hananiah produced a contrary word to him? He went back into history. He told them what has happened. And he says, y'all judge. And he walks away. That's not a man who's frustrated, angry, or put off. Even though you are in service to God, we can get frustrated, we can get angry, even put off. The reason is because you have to do everything yourself. Because you get no help. You don't trust other people to help you. You don't listen. You're not teachable. So no one can teach you how to do it better. The Spirit of God cannot give you revelation. So if anyone comes and puts any more demand on you than you already have right now, it produces frustration Because I don't feel I can get it done. Because what you do is centered around you. That's what pride does. Pride isolates you. Humility joins you up with other people. If you were on the church Facebook page, how many were on the church Facebook page this week? Anybody totally ignore the church Facebook page this week? Just didn't go on at all? Most of you folks can't get uh, Brother Doug Jones' post that he puts up there, so, but he had a post this week that was particularly good and right in line with this. Now, if you read your bulletin, you see I pulled a quote for him. He's been putting all kinds of stuff up. It's right on our lines of our, our stuff. I'm sure he's listening to the tapes and just... Uh... No, he's not. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> but he's just putting up some great stuff on that. But if you can do this, I'll give you this assignment. On her. Doug had a wonderful post that was right along these lines. And so I just shared it on our Facebook page, the church Facebook page. So if you go up on your Facebook page and go to the church page and scan on down, you can find it. If you do not, are not a member of Facebook and do not want to be a member of Facebook, that's fine. Go to the church webpage and then go to the Facebook link. And uh, if you, the little uh, marquees that are up there, you'll see it says Facebook. If you click on that Facebook link, it's going to take you to a page on our website that feeds all the things from the Facebook stuff that the church puts up. And you can see it right there. And you can read it. Without ever getting on Facebook, you can do it. So you've got a way to do it. You know, if you don't want to, then don't. I thought it was good. I thought it was outstanding. You may look, read it and not say the same thing about it, but it's right along these lines, so go ahead and pick that up. And I was going to actually just copy it and bring it on over here, but we'll make you do some homework. The reason is I have to do everything myself. And this is what this, this post that's on Facebook that Brother Doug put up there is all about. Oh, I'll tell you what, if you read this, get hold of this thing. Get hold of this. It's a, it's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And you're in one kingdom or the other. It's the difference. That post shows you the difference between one or the other, right in line with these things right here. Now, next week, we're going to look at someone who becomes frustrated and angry 
angry enough to kill a prophet. It's not a very common story. It's not a story that people go after a whole lot. It's not the one that Elijah faces the, uh, uh, the, the king and the queen and, and so forth. It's, it's not that one at all. Uh, you know, when he's, he runs away, it's not that. But he's, this guy is going to get angry because someone asked something of him and it produced frustration and anger on the inside of him, so much so that he was willing and declared with his mouth to kill a man of God. This is what it will do. When you get into pride, things will frustrate you. Things will anger you. What's more important than understanding those things is that it cuts you off from your source and your supply in God. And when you are cut off from that source and supply, you cannot do what God wants you to do. And everything you try and do becomes impossible. When you tap into God, you love impossible situations. You love them. Because then God can shine through. And God can come through. They made movies about this, um, uh, the Mission Impossible series. I love the name of the organization. Uh, you probably had to help me out on this. Corey, uh, what is it? Mission, is M, M, what is this? The M I, is it MIF? Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible Force, is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. You imagine that, making up a whole group of people to do nothing but accomplish the impossible. And that's people in the world. That's people in the world. People, IMF, that's what it is, Impossible Mission Force. I flipped it. Okay, thanks. Um, but we, we're, we're with God. They do that because of Hollywood. We can do it because we have the power of God who brings us revelation, brings us understanding, and we can tap into his power, and we can do the impossible. We can do it. Next week, we'll get into our, to our guy there. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. To stop seeing things as impossible. To recognize the signs that when we get frustrated, when we get anger, angry, when we feel put off, it's a sign that we are in the wrong place. We are motivated by the wrong force. Our heart is not right. We have a heart condition. And we need to work on it. The same way that we can spot the signs of a heart condition with our physical heart and work towards getting it fixed before we would have a heart attack. We need to understand there are signs that our heart is not right. And we need to get it fixed before it causes us great trouble. So, Father, we thank you for the people you gave us in the Word that help us to pinpoint it, help us to spot it. But all the while, Father, we need to be humble. There is no way to overcome pride with pride. We can only overcome pride with humility. And this story right here is just such a wonderful example of it. Jeremiah never follows after the path of pride. And Hananiah is all over with it. And before it's over, Hananiah is gone. Father, you want us to help, help us to do the impossible, to see everything that is in front of us as something that can be done. And we will receive whatever revelation you speak to us. We will receive whatever power you give us to accomplish those things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before we go this morning, we want to read over our praise reports. If you uh, didn't get yours in, you have some time yet to, to get that uh, going so that we can hear what it is. I write it on down. If you need a piece of paper to write that down with, raise your hand. Bruce back there will get that for us. I have a couple more coming. <laughs> um, one of them was from Candy. She said she thanks God for his healing power and that her husband is healed and doing much better. Amen. Another one for healing here. Ethel said um, this morning she had complete recovery from stomach issues. Um, at first I was going to turn around and go home, and then I realized I was heading in the right direction, um, in the direction of healing and deliverance. So this morning she came to church, and once she got here was healed of that stomach mm-hmm. issue. Um, and Naz says, while we may go through storms in life, I thank God for them because I know who my Redeemer is. Amen. He delivers us from the storms. Amen. Um, <clears throat> Daryl says, God blessed us with two scholarships for Alicia's school. Her tuition is now paid through the end of the year. Praise God. Amen. Blessing, blessings. 
Um, Bruce says, very happy on my new 2 to 10 p.m. shift, but excited about the 6 to 2 p.m. shifts that are coming. Yeah. Praise <laughs> God. We look forward to that. Amen. 